From Brooklyn, New York, I'm Adam Teeter. From New York City, I'm Erica Ducey. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And this is the Vine Pair Podcast. And you guys, I got some sad news, which is this is Erica's last podcast. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, and that is because <laughs> as sad as we are, Erica is moving on to a, a really interesting um, startup, uh, tech startup in the wine space that I'm sure she will tell us when she is ready to tell us um, about, or can you tell us today? No, right? I can tell, I can tell a little <laughs> bit. I can talk a little bit. So, I mean, first of all, I'm so sad to be leaving Vine Pair because we have done some incredible work over the past year. We were the first brand in the first drinks publication to respond to the COVID crisis. We had our live blog up and ready for the industry as a resource on March 12th. A full, you know, long, uh, many days before uh, the um, shutdowns and lockdowns went into place um, anywhere in the country. So, you know, we were on top of the game there um, and we have continued that as a resource throughout COVID. Um, we launched VP Pro, which is um, our uh, vertical for the trade uh, in the trade space. So, you know, for wineries and breweries and um, people working in any part of the three tier system, they can go to VP Pro and use it as a resource. We launched that over the summer. It has been incredibly popular, you know. I mean, every time I look, there's more thousands of uh, subscribers. It's like beyond popular yeah. as a trade vertical. Um, and, you know, we have brought some really important voices to light um, and have really done a lot of great work across all aspects of what's happening, both on the trade side and the consumer side uh, in drinking. So, you know, when we say drinking is culture at Vine Pair, I think we have really delivered on that uh, over the past year, for sure, you know, since that's the time that um, that I've been most familiar with the brand. But I have to say it is uh, sad to be leaving. But indeed, um, I got more and more uh, obsessed with this idea of wine discovery during the pandemic. And that's the topic we're going to be touching on today. And so um, I have an opportunity to uh, partner up with uh, a pioneer in the digital wine space, Paul Mabray. We're going to be developing and launching a new wine platform. And uh, so, you know, if you don't know him, he uh, he founded Wine Direct, he founded Vintank, he now runs a, a SaaS company called Emetry for uh, wineries. And so we're taking his knowledge, my knowledge, some other people's knowledge throughout the industry, and we'll be uh, really looking to solve um, the problem of wine discovery. So how do consumers discover and source wines online? Uh, and then we are looking to help them do that in an easier and more seamless way than currently exists. So um, it's a super exciting challenge and, and one that I'm uh, looking forward to diving into. Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, it's definitely a bummer to see you go, for sure. It's been amazing to, to have you on the team for the last year. Um, but Paul is a, just such an amazing entrepreneur in the wine space, especially when it comes to, you know, commerce and connecting wines wineries to their consumers uh that i think it's it's definitely going to be an exciting thing for you to go and and help him build i know he's written about it a a little bit on his blog i've read a few of the posts and it definitely sounds like something that's needed in the industry when it comes to helping consumers find wines um and be able to you know 
easily purchase them and drink them as opposed to the way it exists now. Um, so I, yeah, I, I mean, we obviously you're always to be a member of the vine pair family and we, um, we wish you all the best and can't wait to continue to see how this thing grows and, and have you stay in touch and stay a part of us as well. Thank you. And uh, yeah, I mean, I would love to have if followers are interested in, in uh, joining the journey and following along, just follow me on Twitter or Instagram. It's just at Erica Ducey, E-R-I-C-A-D-U-E-C-Y. And I will be happily retweeting everything that is happening at Vine Pair as well. I'm a huge fan <laughs> of the brand and I will continue to be. Erica, I just have one important question for you. Yeah. Who is your favorite co-host? Ha ha. Oh, you think I'm going to fall for that? Yeah, that's like, that's such a lame question, Zach. It's not your boss anymore. You can say me. It's okay. No, it's, it's, oh like, it's like the lamest question. It's like, it's like, okay, you know what? Maybe we should just keep asking your kid who their favorite, who his favorite parent is. But I would assume it would be your wife. Oh my God. We have oh! enough, we have enough divisive stuff happening in the country right now that we do not Seriously. further divides. Making people choose. Um, but I, so, so today's topic is really interesting, which is uh, wine discovery and how we discover wine online. Um, I mean, I'd obviously, you know, we we know we have a lot of readers to the, to the Vine Pair, uh, the Vine Pair, you know, review library, etc. But that really isn't how a lot of people discover wine to buy, right? It's not how you purchase. You 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 go there to to do to do some research, etc. But for the most part, right, where, where are we buying wine online, and how are we finding wines online to buy? Um, and I will be the first one to say, until the pandemic, um, I didn't buy a lot of it online. I I definitely you know, I read publications like ours and I talked to people, but it was really a lot of, Erica, what you talk about, a lot of word of mouth, you know? So uh, one person would tell me about one thing or another person would say, hey, you should, I've been getting into this region and I like the wines of this region. And that's kind of more how I was discovering it. And I was going to local wine shops, which I do think are going to come back uh, at, at the end of all this, but maybe not in the, num- you know, in, in the dominance they had prior, right? I think um, online is definitely here to stay, but you know, I have always been intrigued by the wine clubs. I think the problem for me with wine online and discovery of wine online has always been that for at least for the last 10 years, um, and we can, we can blame a few people for this, right? Um, I think, you know, without, without naming names, people who founded certain wine clubs with lots of startup capital, uh, early on in our days, um, potentially ha- have sued your, your, your new part, your new business partner, <laughs> um, you know, made, made wines that were dubious in origin. And we've talked about this a bunch in terms of, of labeling of, of other types of wine clubs. Right. And so, I was always really worried because I knew that in order to sort of understand the wine world online, you had to accept that some of these wines actually didn't exist in the real world. They only existed in the online wine world. They were Mm. wines that were private labeled, created for these kind of sites that allowed them to be able to affordably ship them to you, right? Because that's the other issue that has always been for me about wine online is that a lot of the wines – you know, at, at a $20, $50 price point just became prohibitively expensive once you started adding on shipping costs and things like that. So I started to realize like, well, then a lot of those wines that are that price probably don't actually exist IRL, right? When I would like try to search for them on on other sites or, you know, just in Google, they, w- they would only always come up on that on that one retailer site. And so I was like, that this is definitely something that's, that's weird. So I think, I, I wonder how, I think feel like both things are going to have to change and we've seen change somewhat in COVID, but, you know, first of all, creating some sort of system where it's easier to find real wines, but also a system that, that actually explains their provenance. Right. And somehow makes me feel comfortable that there's actually someone behind them. If that makes sense. It's not just like a, a bulk wine manufacturer that's, you know, just doing the new cool label. 
because um, that's always been my issue. And at least I knew I've known at a wine shop I can talk to someone, and they'll be like, "Yeah, I talked to this rep three days ago. This is who the winemaker is," and they made me feel more comfortable. But I don't know, maybe that's just me. But that that's always been my my sort of fear of discovering wine when it comes to buying wine online. Yeah, definitely. I mean, for for me, I think you know over the pandemic period, I've been scouring wine platform websites, looking for new finds and for guidance on great values. And it's tough to come by reliable information. So previously, I would be dining out a lot, I was scouring the wine list at the restaurants and wine bars that I loved, you know, I would spend hours in a wine shop talking to the the shopkeepers, you know, looking at their selections, um, really trying to get uh, a handle for the shops that I liked, uh, where I knew the people, where I knew their philosophies. But having to move that all online has has not been very seamless for me. So, you know, I think there's a couple key issues that are I found most problematic. One is that on the big platforms, like the big ordering platforms, you have these algorithms that are pushing the big brands. So it makes it really hard to discover new producers and new regions. Um, Then you also have super limited inventory. So there's just no way right now to find the um, um, amazing wines that are available, like direct to consumer from wineries, unless you hunt and peck. Like I am a huge fan of Martha Stuman. I follow um, her wines and like, it's so hard to find her wines at any retail uh, shop or on any platform. Like, it's very difficult. So, you know, I have to uh, currently subscribe to her wine club in order to find out what's happening with those wines. But, you know, multiply that by all the producers that I am interested in. And it's like hugely, it's a, it's a huge Byzantine, like, did I catch an email? Did I miss a thing? It's like very confusing. Um, and then there's also this lack of context from real people whose advice I trust. So like, I just don't drink like, you know, James Suckling drinks, right? Like I, I I don't have that same taste. So like finding those online um, reviewers, I have not really found uh, a ton of people that I've been psyched about. And that actually was the impetus behind our um, uh, $250 case challenge. So, you know, at VinePair, we uh, created this $250 case challenge where we ask top psalms to go onto a wine platform uh, and Uh, I think, what was our first one? Total Wine, I think was our first one. And we said, choose the best values, choose the 12 best values that are available on the platform right now and, uh, and tell us why we should buy them. And like that series, now we've talked to a bunch of songs, that series has been Uh, super successful because I think it answers that problem of, you know, you learn something about a psalm or you have a psalm or personality that you're following and you really trust their recommendations, but it's so hard to come by those recommendations without the restaurants and wine bars that we've all loved. I think the other piece of this that that you guys have both kind of alluded to but haven't hit on entirely is we also live in a country where for a lot of really dumb reasons, getting wine from other states is really hard. It's a little bit more doable if you're trying to get wine from a winery directly. There's more freedom to ship wine uh, across state lines. But, you know, if you're interested in getting wine that's either not made in this country, so it's imported, or even um, just a wine that might not be um, currently available from a winery. They've sold out of it. It's a previous vintage, et cetera. If it's not already in your state, 
you may find it very, very difficult to get your hands on that wine. You may have to break the law, which, you know, whatever, or, or, or just not get it. Um, and I think that, you know, we, we, we've talked about this a lot. I've done a few interviews, uh, as a part of the next round series with people who are involved in trying to either, um, change those laws or find workarounds for them. Um, and I think that's all well and good, but it is important to remember that one of the real challenges with whatever end of this, um, uh, industry you're on, whether you're a producer, whether you're, um, you know, a platform, whether you're uh, someone who would be interested in offering your recommendations is that availability is really, really hard to predict. And I've come across across this teaching online wine classes during the uh, pandemic, because stuff that I assume would be available in 50 states, because it's not even small production, it's large production, well-known wineries, just randomly isn't in Missouri, or it isn't in Tennessee, or it isn't in Wyoming, or whatever. And and there's, you know, if it's not in the state, there, there's like nothing I can do. There's nothing that my students can do. And so I just find it to be important to recognize that like there's a there's an information flow issue for sure. But there's also like a very fundamental like we live in a state in a country with really fucked up spirits law and, and wine yeah. laws. And yeah. and like some of that is not going to change unless, you know, all you listening decide that, hey, it's important that not only do we push for all these other things that we all think are, are important, and I don't want to claim that, you know, easier access to online wine retail is is as important as many of the other things that that I'm sure lots of you are out there advocating for. But but if it's something that we want, you know, political action matters. And, and you know, especially in an area like this, where there isn't a lot of um, outspoken uh, public sentiment in favor of additional freedoms that I think we all would, most of us would agree are good for everyone, um, with the exception of maybe wholesalers. Um, it has to happen that way too, because otherwise we're going to end up with the same bottlenecking problem where, you know, wine that is recommended, no matter how great the recommendation is, if someone can't get it for legal reasons, it's it's a worthless recommendation. Well, I also wonder, do you guys think that like, so Erica brought up one piece that, that I wanted to, to touch on um, cause I think it's interesting. And I have thought about it a lot recently with the, with the explosion of wine online uh, and, and just spirits in general, but I know we're talking mostly wine here. Um, and Erica, you said like a lot of it has to do with like the big brands, right? And so people can more easily find them and they buy them. One of the things though that I've wondered about a lot and I've seen happen, it's pretty rampant and no one's really talking about it. Um, it's probably a story here is look, when we do sponsored content with brands, we have to very clearly label it. And it says sponsored, you know, there's, it's very clearly labeled partner, et cetera. There's a lot of these, these larger sites online who I know the brands are paying for placement. That's what you do. I mean, that's what they're used to doing. Do you know what I mean? Like that's, it's not like a, they do that in stores too. That's what an end cap cap is. You know, you pay to be in that end cap, but I think there's just something about online where you expect that that's at least labeled, you know, promotional or whatever. So let's say, let's say I I wind up on a a large wine websites, uh, you know, wine retailers website, and maybe there's a, you know, discover the wines of Southwest France, you know, as a huge block, that's probably a paid promotion. But I'm not told that, right? So I'm like, oh, cool. Right. So why is it Southwest France? And I click it. Or maybe there just happens to be a lot of the bigger brands on the homepage. Now, in a lot of a lot of places, you might someone might argue with me and say, oh, well, that's just because the bigger brands are popular and they, they want you to find them faster so that you, you buy them. But in a lot of cases, it's also that the bigger brands are paying to be there because they also want to be – it's just like the, the way they push for shelf space in the large retailers, right, is they know if they're easier to be found – 
that you will buy them more readily because they're easier to be found. You know, so I, I wonder how how you fix that as well. And and do we call for some of these larger retailers and say like, look, like this is online. This, we we all understand most, or at least I think a lot of us understand that promotions in grocery stores are promotions that are paid for. Those big displays and whatever are things to try to get us to buy. But in online, we maybe not don't know that. So you should be marking it in the way that Amazon now does. Right. right. So I think, I mean, there was a, you know, the ruling that Amazon has to do it. So does, does it need to happen online as well so that, you know, we actually feel like we can buy with more confidence? Cause I feel like that's also my issue all the time. It's like, well, are you just pushing something at me? And because, because someone paid you to, or because it's a good margin for you, not because I, I may, may love it. Well, and I think that last point is a really important one, Adam, which is there's a whole realm here, which is not obviously also exclusive to wine or, or alcohol, but, but there's that like very obvious paid promotion, which like is more common, as you said, with things like Vine Pair or Media, where, where someone is paying for, you know, a story or, or, or some sort of, um, you know, presentation or, or, or space. But then there's everything else, which is like, hey, we're going to give you a really, really good deal on this product. And, and thus, we know you're going to be incentivized to push it because you're going to be able to, to make more margin, be able to charge more um, compared to what you paid for it than you would with comparable other products. And that piece of it is even if you think that it's hard to tease out when you're on an online platform, hey, you know, what, it, who is paying for placement? I mean, Good luck figuring out, unless you happen to be someone else who plays in a wholesale market. Good luck figuring out what that person is pay, is playing is paying for. And and in some ways, I mean, I don't think that's inherently a problem as long as the person who's making or the the recommendations are good. But when the recommendations start to be less good, that's where the whole thing falls apart real quick. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah, and it just keeps small brands down. So let's say you're, you know, putting in a search or you you are trying to find um, a wine that, uh, you know, meets certain specifications. Like, and you're, if you're getting an Amazon like search result back that, uh, you know, is prioritizing certain brands, like it's it's just kind of confounding to try to understand why on Amazon those things would be marked, why on VinePair those things would be marked, why not on any of the e-commerce platforms are those are those things marked. I mean, I think it's, I can't even think of any drinks platforms where I've seen um, paid placements marked. However, you know that it is because the brands have said that they have increased, they've like 2x, 3x, 5x their spending with these digital platforms uh, actually at the expense of a lot of uh, media, at the expense of doing a lot of media spend this year. They've gone directly to the e-commerce platforms and have been spending there. So we know it's happening. We know it's a growing business. But why is there no transparency there? But there really is everywhere else. I think probably there will be some you know, legislative thing that we'll have to, um, you know, there's going to have to be a challenge to that. Uh, Agreed. And what the norms of, um, of online selling look like. I agree. I, I also think, Adam, one, one question I have for you and for you as well, Eric, of course, is the other piece of this that I think is really fascinating and something for our, our listeners to think about too is, you know, part of the issue with, with an online or any kind of recommendation platform or, or system is to some extent, the person seeking the recommendation has to have the faintest idea what they like. And I think that that's where, yeah. you know, a lot of these algorithms struggle is we actually have very little uh, ability to, 
to to kind of quantify why people like th- something as complicated as wine or spirits or whatever. You know, you, you see some of these online platforms or cl- wine clubs with, you know, oh, what kind of, how do you like your coffee? Or, or you know, do you prefer Reese's Pieces or, I don't know, Malamars or something, right? Like all these kinds of questions that are, that they're trying to draw some sort of inference about the kind of wines you like from other consumable items. And I just think that like, you know, the first step for anyone looking for recommendations, whether it's in person or online or, or anywhere else, is think about like, well, what what do I like? Right. <laughs> in, in restaurants too, this was always my thing is like, you know, can the guest explain to me a little bit what they like or tell me some wines they like? Because that'll help me because it's a lot easier to say, well, if you like this wine and this wine and this wine, you might also like this wine. Yeah. Um, and, and so I, I'm curious for each of you, you know, how often do you think about what you like and maybe why? Well, so I mean, so I think the, f- the first thing that you bring up the quizzes is really interesting because that th- those quizzes really work um, on the low end, not on the high end. But the reason they work on the low end has nothing to do with their accuracy. It has everything to do with the psychological trick that it plays on you. So basically, psychological research has proven that when you think that you are involved in the decision of the product you are trying, you are more your brain is more likely to like it. So if you think that you gave this algorithm, I mean, if you, if you look at most of these, these tests, they're very basic, right? So if you give that, if you give this algorithm, these, these inputs and you are spit out that you should be drinking Pinot Noir from Oregon, you think you were involved in the decision-making process. And so you're, you're much more likely at a certain price. The second that price goes above the threshold where you feel comfortable, right? So maybe that, that price is $20, right? That you're comfortable. The second that, that they're spitting out wines at 25 or 30, you're going to be more critical even, even if you were involved in the decision-making process, right? So the, that's what I think is why you always see those quizzes though on the, on these like very, you know, low cost wine clubs. Like that was like the rage and like five, five to eight years ago, you saw them on almost every wine club that was starting, right? Like we're going to find your palate and whatever, and don't worry. Cause you're going to get a, you know, a pack of six bottles for 69 99 or something. And everyone was like, yeah, great. Love it. It's, a, it's the best. I bet everyone got the same package, by the way. <laughs> but you know, but, but that's, that's I bet you those... they had at least two different ones. Exactly. But that's what those quizzes <laughs> did. Whereas no, I mean, at the high end, I think it's really hard because the second you start thinking about paying out more money for something you've never had before, you start really questioning it. And it's not, it, Online, I think it can be difficult because it's not like sheets, right? I don't know. I'm using sheets because I just bought them recently, but you can't (laughs) return them once they're, if they're, if they're expensive and you don't like them. Once you open the wine, it doesn't matter. You're out 50 or 60 bucks if that's what you paid. And so I think, you know, the person that can figure that out, um, and I think, you know, potentially, Paul is that person, depending on, on the exact thing you guys are building, Erica. But like the second you figure that out, like how do I feel comfortable taking that risk? I think that unlocks a ton of amazing stuff online um, because then you really are opening up a, a massive world. Because you're right. What we're seeing people buy right now is people they already know. How yeah. do you get people to buy stuff they don't? Like at least when you take the risk at your wine shop, you can go back and be like, hey, man or lady or other person – you've always cheered me right. This was a bad bottle. Come on. And they probably even be like, you know what? I'll give you 20% off the next thing or whatever. Totally. And, but that, that can't happen as well online. So that's where it's hard for me, Zach, because I, I know the things I like, but I still, I still don't like everything in those things. Do you know what I mean? 
Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, I think those quizzes, I have mostly found them to be a boondoggle for more experienced yep. drinkers. <laughs> because, you know, I tend to have pretty eclectic taste. I like a wide range of styles. I like flinty, acid-driven Riesling. And, and, and then on another night, I'm going to have, you know, a rich, unctuous Amarone, right? So it runs the gamut literally across all styles of wine. I drink classic wines. I drink biodynamic wines. I drink some natural wines. You know, that, and, and like, there's no quiz that effectively has, like, encapsulated or even often returned wines that I have liked. So I think that's one problem. And then I think there's, there's another problem for, um, uh, separately that I get really frustrated about, which I think is the bottle problem. So when you are a more experienced, um, drinker and maybe you're buying uh, wines several times a month, you have the bottle problem, which is you're looking for a specific bottle. And I find that even more maddening than um, because it seems like you should be able to solve this. So like just last week, I was looking for this um, Syrah. It's a, a Georges Vernet. It's, uh, you know, a Rhone producer. There's It's like a declassified red Condro wine. And it's around $30. It's not like a super fancy wine or anything. Um, but I, I must have spent 45 minutes. And at the end of that, I did not get my wine. I, I looked for it on the big platforms. I looked for it on retail shops in other states that were would ship to New Jersey. I was scouring their like fine print to figure out who would ship to New Jersey. And in, in all, I probably uh, visited five or six different websites trying to find this one wine. I abandoned the effort. And I know there's somewhere in Manhattan that I eventually will like go get a bottle at. But it's, you know, it's not just a one-time thing. I think for anyone who is like actively searching for wine online with some regularity, you must find it to be the most frustrating thing ever. Because I like, I am just stymied over and over when I'm looking for specific bottles. Erica, you better fix this or I'm going to be pissed that you left this. <laughs> I will, damn it. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like, it, it, it is like my, you know, the thing that pisses me off most yeah. about our current uh, drinking climate is like, I can't find what I want to drink. We just did um, a really cool article about Claret wines, which is this like dark pink red where they <clears throat> co-ferment red and white grapes. And I looked everywhere. I looked everywhere for this one brand and still I'm empty handed. And it's been two and a half months. Like really, should it be this difficult? That's unbelievable. It really is unbelievable how difficult it is. And yeah, I, I really hope that, you solve it. <laughs> yeah. And then come then come back on the podcast and tell us all about it. Yeah. Totally. Absolutely. Totally. Well, guys, this has been another really awesome conversation as always. Erica, I'm going to miss the back and forth like crazy. It's been an amazing uh, addition for you to be the third voice. Um, for the listeners, we're going to, we're going to try some, some crazy things in the weeks to come. It, it's, it's not just going to be, we're not going to go back to old days of just Zach and I all the time. <laughs> we're going to, we're going to bring on some guest hosts. Uh, we're, we're, and we're going to, we're going to try to, to bring on someone else potentially in the near future. Um, but Erica, seriously, I wish you all the best. Um, Vine Pair is was lucky to have you for a year. Sad to lose you, but I'm really excited for 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 your future for sure. Oh, thank you so much. Love you guys, and I really, really am going to miss you. Well, everyone else, you can drop us a line at podcast at vinepair.com if you want to say goodbye to Erica. You can drop her a line there, or you can follow her at, at Erica Ducey on all of the social channels. And everyone else, we'll we'll see you next week. Bye. Sounds great. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. 
If you enjoy listening to us every week, please leave us a review or rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vine Pair is produced and hosted by Zach Jabal, Erica Ducey, and me, Adam Teeter. Our engineer is Nick Patry and Keith Beavers. I'd also like to give a special shout out to my Vine Pair co-founder, Josh Mallon, and the rest of the Vine Pair team for their support. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again right here next week.